My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's, it's an opportunity, or it's an honor just to speak to you. I love uh, speaking to you today, and just every time I get the opportunity, I love it. So uh, I just want to say thank you for Paul and for the opportunity just to, for, for you to be here. I just am so excited that you're here. Welcome if you're new with us this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, thanks for tuning in online. I'm glad that you guys made it. But I'm, I'm going to start out um, with a question. I just want, okay, so your first choice neighbor. Go back to your first choice neighbor. And uh, tell them, what is one thing that's on your bucket list? What's one thing on your bucket list? Go ahead, tell them. What's one thing on your bucket list? One thing you would want to do before you die. All right. Travel. What's something on your bucket list? Retiring. Yeah, right. I think that's on all of our bucket lists. That's good. Traveling, going to some place. I would love to go. I would love to go out and see what's, what's out west in the United States. Like, that'd be awesome. I love that. Yosemite, Yellowstone, Glacier. I'd love to travel. Um, today, it's really, um, I'm going to ask you an- another question, which is really what today and Passion Week, which is the week leading up to Easter, is all about. Really, okay, so we, we, we know what our bucket list is, right? Here's my question to you. Here's my next question to you. A little bit more serious. If you found out that you had one week to live, you don't need to, you don't need to tell your neighbor this one. What would you do? If you, had, if you found out you had one week to live, what would you do? And compare that to your bucket list. Would you actually be doing things on your bucket list? Or would you be doing more intentional things? Would you be telling the people that around you that you love them, writing letters, voice memos. I mean, every time that, you know, or most people, when they're, they have an illness or a terminal illness, they find out they have a shortened lifespan. They make the last moments count. And so today we're leaning into a story of Jesus, who we believe is the son of God, who, who is, is like looking at the last week of his earthly ministry. And he is emphasizing Everything that he has ever done and what he's all about. Like he is, this week is important. I encourage you, we're not going to be able to look at everything that he does this week. But I encourage you this week at leading up to Easter, read the stories in the Gospels of what he does in this week. Because he emphasizes what he is all about. But my question to you really is, what would you tell people you're all about? Like, how would you tell people, your friends, your family, the, the loved ones that you have, how would you tell them what you're really all about? Because if you had one week to live, you would really want to leave people with something. And that's what we get to see today in, in our story. And that's what Palm Sunday is. That's what this triumphant entry is. And so today, he's emph- Jesus is really starting the emphasis of what he's all about. And so in this triumphant entry, he's, he's riding a donkey into Jerusalem. He's actually doing things and saying things in an incredibly intentional way. He's saying things and doing things, and he's really addressing different people but it's really addressing pitfalls that we fall into in our, in our, in our life. Three pitfalls that we are going to look at today, but they're represented by three different perspectives that Jesus is communicating to in his triumphant entry. And it's an incredible story because Jesus is incredibly smart. He's incredibly intentional. And he doesn't just proclaim his authority and say, I'm the son of God, listen to me. He does it subtly through what he does, his actions and what he says in conversation. Here's my main point. If you catch nothing else, I want you to catch this one thing. Jesus wants to enter 
every part of our lives. That's what I want you to catch. If you catch nothing else, catch that. Jesus wants to enter every part of our lives. He entered Jerusalem, and we're going to see what that means and what that looks like. But today, for us, he wants to enter every part of your life. Come on, can we pray together? Jesus, we thank you so much. God, we just allow you in this space, in this time, to enter in our lives. God, we put away distractions. We put away all the things that are on our mind, and we just say, Lord, have your way. Would you enter into our lives? Because we need you today more than we've ever needed you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So let me set the the stage, right? Triumphant entry. Uh, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and uh, so there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of Jewish people. They're celebrating the Passover. So it's a party. Like, if you've ever been to, like, uh, outside of a football game, like, uh, something, like, it's almost like a tailgate session. Like, in Jerusalem, they're like, yo, this is about to, it's about to be a party in here. Like, have you ever been to, like, uh, like, I went to, in, in, uh, in Philadelphia, I was able to go a couple years ago to uh, watch a soccer game, and it was, in, it was at the link. It was an incredible experience, and there was people tailgating for soccer games. You, you Eagles fans are like crazy. They'll tailgate, tailgate for like anything. Kids' birthday party, we'll tailgate. Like, it's anything, right? That's what Philly fans do, but uh, it was just an atmosphere of partying, right? Incredible. And so, uh, so that's what the atmosphere that Jesus is walking into. And so it, we look at this triumphant entry and we think, wow, Jesus, like everybody just loved Jesus and received him like so well. It's, it's just amazing. But actually triumphant entries were actually not uncommon at that point in, in time. Um, a lot of times there would be like somebody who is uh, the leader of one town coming into another town and there'd be a triumphant entry or like a an athlete who's won something, they come in and there's a triumphant entry. So it's not totally uncommon that something like this would happen. But what is uncommon is usually when that would happen, the leader of the town of Jerusalem, for example, that's where we're at right now, would come out and meet this distinguished individual. But Jesus walks into town and nobody comes out to greet him. He's met with praise, but he's also met with protest. And it's interesting because we get to, to see a different type of triumphant entry today that's not typical. And so today we're going to be looking at two different gospel accounts. This story is in all four of the gospels, but we're going to be looking, really zeroing in on two because it communicates these people's perspectives and the pitfalls we fall into very accurately. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 19. And so he is, Jesus is coming in and it says this, Luke nineteen twenty eight says this, After Jesus had said this, he's talking about a parable, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to him, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, as expected, why are you untying that colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And so they brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and put Jesus on it. Here's my first point. Jesus wants to enter every part of your life, but Jesus enters our unknowns. This first point is the disciples' perspective of the story. That's what we're going to be looking at. He enters into our unknowns. And so Jesus did, had this thing. He always kept the disciples on his toes, on their toes. So like, uh, 
so basically what Jesus is doing with this triumphant entry is he's going public. He's saying like, okay, all this stuff before, you know, he's saying to, to different people that he's healed, don't tell anybody. Like, keep it under wraps. I mean, his, the word and who he is is getting out, but this is the moment that he's deciding, I'm going to go public. So the disciples are, are kind of freaking out a little bit because there's a lot of tension between the religious leaders and Jesus and the disciples. So they're like, um, Jesus, if you go public, we might die. Like, there's a huge possibility for these disciples that something might happen. So they have to decide right then and there to, to put their commitment, to make a commitment to follow Jesus right there. And so uh, the disciples are experiencing an unknown. And Jesus, he's walking into it. He enters into it. In fact, he kind of sets it up a little bit. And it's a, almost like a test of faith for these disciples. And in so many times in our lives, that same idea happens. Where whether or not it's God testing our faith or whether it's just a situation that does test us, we have unknowns in our life. I feel like everybody in this room probably has a situation where you don't know what the ending is going to look like. And so Jesus, he doesn't really say, he doesn't whisper to his disciples, hey, yo, yo, like, remember what I said? Like, I was going to die and then I was going to, so it's all going to make sense. Like, don't worry about it. It's all cool. He didn't say that to them. He just w- went to the unknown. He just created the unknown and then entered into it. And so many times in our lives, when we face something, a situation in our life where we are, we, it's an unknown. It's a grief. It's a death. It's a sickness. It's a diagnosis. It's something in our life where there's an unknown. I don't know how this situation is going to work out. Jesus, oftentimes in, in my life, it's, it's been like this too. He doesn't usually give an answer. He does give himself. He doesn't necessarily give the answer, but he gives his presence just the fact that he's there. And so today, in your unknown, Jesus is, is not saying, this is the answer. Here, I'm going to give it to you. All your fears are going to go away. He actually leads us on a journey that allows our fears to be, to be gone away because we see him more and more in our everyday, in our unknown situation. And so let's continue on in the story in, uh, in, in the verse 36 in Luke. It says this, As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd, so this is like the fans of Jesus, the uh, the whole crowd of disciples began began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now we're going to switch to the John account. This is a switch of the narrative. It just depicts it better. It says this, Hosanna! John 12, 13b through 17. Hosanna, which means save now or save us now. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it's written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt, which is, that's coming from uh, an Old Testament book. It's an Old Testament prophecy, Zechariah 9, 9. And it says this, this is really cool. At first, his disciples did not understand this. They didn't understand the unknown. They didn't understand what was happening. They, they felt the fear. They felt the uncertainty. They felt all the feelings. They didn't understand it. Only after Jesus was glorified, which means he went to heaven, he ascended into heaven. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had, uh, and that these things had been done to him. So many times in our unknowns, we may never know the answer to some of our lives' questions. We might never know. Or we might be able to look back later 
which this is probably a couple, maybe 20 years later, so maybe 10, 20 years later, they look back and they're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what happened. That's why that happened. So the fear that I felt in that moment was for a purpose. And I'm not saying this. I'm not saying, yo, every bad thing that, that happens to you has a good underside. Just look at the pot. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I am a positive person. The glass is always half full. If you know me, that's, 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 that's how I live my life, right? But I, I'm not saying that there's legitimately bad things that happen, and, and that's, that's, that's what it is. That's reality. But there is a purpose for everything. I believe that. And Jesus is even saying that there, and he's revealing that. And the disciples are realizing that, that that's what's happening. They're realizing that their unknown had a solution. Their unknown had an answer. And they didn't see it in the moment, but they saw it later. And this really, honestly, wreck it, like, helps us see that God is sovereign. Like, God is in control. He's in charge. And when we don't see the end story, he still is in control. He still, he still saw the ending before the beginning. He's the one who wrote the story. So he is sovereign. And so he is totally in control. So we can rest in the fact that even in our unknowns, even when there's that sickness, even when there's the illness, God is still sovereign. He still has everything in his hands. And so he enters in our unknown. And so continuing in that story, uh, it says this, and this is right after, this, we're going back to the Luke account. This is right after the people are saying, Hosanna. The Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Like they're saying like, Jesus, this is not true of you. Because they didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. And then so Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the, the stones will cry out. Which is actually a, a psalm, right? He quotes the psalm right there. It's, I believe it's psalm, psalm 19. But the Pharisees doubted Jesus. Here's my second point. Jesus enters our doubt. Jesus enters our doubt. So uh, oftentimes when we face an unknown, if an unknown stays unknown, if we don't address it or bring it to, to Jesus, it becomes a doubt. And I'm not saying that all doubt is wrong, but I am saying there's two different types of doubt. Um, there's a doubt that the Pharisees brought to Jesus. There's the doubt from the position of accusation. Like, Jesus, you're wrong. They, they, like so many times in the, in the gospel accounts, it said like they were, tr- the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus with this question. And so they brought it to him, right? And it wasn't this approach of Jesus, like I'm genuinely cur- curious, like what is, wh- how are you doing this? Like literally Jesus clears the temple like the next day and they ask him, by what authority are you doing this? But they're trying to trap him by that question. And so there's a doubt question that starts from the place of accusation, but then there's a doubt that starts from the place of curiosity. And so there's two different types of doubt that we can have in our life. And so really our doubt or or unknown can lead to like accusation doubt, or it can lead to a decision to push forward and to trust Jesus. And so, um, he's, he's, he's leading them into this doubt. And so, um, it's, it's kind of a crazy moment. But in reality today, I see it a lot. Um, there's a lot of Christian music artists or just big name Christian people who are doing this thing called deconstructing faith. And uh, to be honest with you, I've seen it so many times. Uh, there's one of the people from DC Talk, uh, one of the people from Hillsong. Like they all, they, they basically come out and say, I don't know if Jesus is God. I'm still trying to figure that out or something along those lines. It's deconstructing faith. And I have a definition from somebody who's kind of like in this, mo- in this movement. It says this, deconstruction 
ism is a critical dismantling of tradition and traditional modes of thought. And so interesting because they take uh, people who deconstruct faith, take the faith of Christianity and pick it apart. Usually it's one of two reasons. One, it's because they were hurt by a church organization or a church leader. And this person who they believe believed the best just, I don't know, did something bad or did something wrong or uh, spoke with authority that was not theirs and, or hurt them in some way, right? That's one of the reasons that I see a lot of people dismantling their Christian faith. And the other reason is because something is just, some foundational thought or belief of somebody is just cracked a little bit. And because that is taken out, people, instead of saying, well, what's the answer to that unknown, are pressing into the doubt. They were like, well, it's all wrong. And so deconstructionalism or deconstructionism is really this idea that people can, uh, would rather be searching for answers than find answers. And the reality is, um, if this is you or if this is a family member of yours, I, have three, like, I, I wrote down three things that I want you to do. If this is you deconstructing your faith or your family member deconstructing your faith, empathize. Feel the feelings that this person's feeling. Ask clarifying questions. Empathize, clarify. What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? When you say this word, what does that mean to you? And then guide to good sources. And in reality, doubt, like I said, is not wrong. But we just have to understand where to, where to go with doubt or what to do with doubt. I, I, I honestly feel like doubt is, is a healthy part of our Christian faith as long as we're going to the right source. Um, there's a story, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3. He's one of the Pharisees. He's a Pharisee. He's a leader of the Pharisees. And instead of joining with the crowd and, and saying like, oh, yeah, Jesus, you're wrong. You're not the son of God. And just staying back from a distance and just hurling insults at the safety of this crowd and at the safety of you're wrong, I'm right. Instead of doing that, Jesus, it says that Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he goes to Jesus at night. And he asked Jesus questions. What does it mean to be born again? What, you're, ta- you're doing things with the authority of God. No one has ever done this before. What are you doing? So, so here's what Nicodemus does, and here's what I want you to do too. When you have a doubt, go to the source. When you have a doubt, don't go to every other thing in the whole world, because that's what deconstructionists love to do. They love to go to this Eastern religion writes this, and this is this, and that encapsulates God looking like this. And no, when you have a doubt, go to the source. Go to the source. And if that doesn't work, if you're still confused about the Bible, look at good resources that help de- determine what the Bible is saying. I love um, gotquestions.org. Is a, is a, it sounds really elementary, but gotquestions.org is actually one of the best resources out there for tough questions of faith. I've been looking at gotquestions.org since I was in high school. It's an amazing, my youth pastor showed me gotquestions.org. It's an amazing resource. If you have a big question of faith, that resource will help break it down and, and bring the Bible. It's a very solid, it, it's not really even um, like a denomination. It's just kind of Bible only. It's beautiful. So if you have a doubt, go to the source. And so the Pharisees decided not to. They decided to leave their doubt in accusation. And so sometimes we put God on trial in our doubts. Because of our unknown, we say, God, you're the one that has to figure this one out. 
You're the one that has to do something for me. But in reality, we're not going to God. In our our doubts, we need to go to, to Jesus because Jesus enters our doubt. And this shows God's character being consistent. No matter what we face or the questions we have, I believe that Christianity is a solid religion. Its foundation is totally solid. So God can handle every question that you have. I believe that. But what are you, where are you coming from when you ask questions? Are you coming from the Pharisee's point of view? Or are you coming more from Nicodemus's point of view? And here's my third point. It's this. Jesus enters our expectations. He enters every part of our life, our unknowns, our doubts, the triumphant entry. He's entering expectations. And this is from the people's perspective, the the crowd's perspective, the Jews' perspective, who were there to celebrate the the Passover. And it says this in John chapter 12. It says, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That's interesting. Keep keep that in mind. That was the reason so, so many went out to meet him. That's interesting. So it's like, oh my goodness, Jesus is doing these crazy things. He's raising people. Maybe we could check it out. Maybe we could see one. Maybe we could see Jesus raise somebody from the dead or a miracle happen. Like, that's awesome, right? It says this, uh, that's why they went out to see him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everybody has gone after him. And it's so interesting because these people, the crowd, have become not followers of Jesus, but fans of Jesus, and Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called uh, uh, Not a Fan. And there's a quote that I have from that book. I love this book. I highly recommend it. It's incredibly challenging. And he says this. In this, this is probably the most famous quote from that book, Not a Fan. Um, it talks about the difference of being a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. And it says this. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to, to Jesus to get all the benefits but not close enough that it requires anything from them. Close enough for the benefits, but not close enough that it requires anything from them. And that's where the crowd was at. The crowd basically was like, I either, they wanted two things, right? They wanted, one, they wanted a political leader to overthrow the government. And, you know, if it means no taxes, sure, I'm on board, right? That's what they're basically saying with Jesus. Uh, you know, this, this government is corrupt, whatever, whatever. But Jesus, to, to respond to that, he does a couple different things. Like, we'll back up. They're saying Hosanna, right? Which we today say that. Hosanna, you know, it's Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us now. Save now. So they're like, okay, Jesus, save us now from this government. Like, they said praise God, and some of them might have meant it. Hosanna means praise because, and save us now, right? It's a praise, but it means save now. And so he said, so a lot of these people were like, save us now, Hosanna, Hosanna, from the government. And so their expectation of Jesus was, I want you to overthrow what I don't like. I want you to take out of my life the things that I don't like. I want to be close enough for the benefits, but not close enough that it requires anything from me. I'll support you from the crowd, but I'm not going to do really anything for you. And so it's interesting because that, number one, Jesus responds. I mean, they're literally waving palm branches, which means victory. Like, that, that represents victory in, the, in that time. It represented, like, 
like, save us now. You're the, you're the conqueror. Like, conquer the government, please. So he says this. In response, he doesn't ride a horse. A horse would, would have indicated, I'm about to battle. I'm about to, to get really gritty with this a government. I'm about to battle. But he doesn't do that. What does he ride instead? A donkey. Yeah, he rides the colt, uh, which is a, the first time a donkey's ever been written. It's called a colt. And so he rides, instead of a horse, he rides a colt. And so he goes into, into the town riding this, and he's basically saying to the crowd, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to overthrow the government. That was the first expectation that they had, overthrow the government. And the second was see a miracle. I want to see a miracle. I want to see Jesus. You raise another person from the dead. Because that would be pretty cool. Right? And so they said, they're like to Jesus, like, like Jesus, do something cool for us. I would love to see what you, what you can do for me. And it's so crazy because we look at the crowd and we're like, man, they're just the worst. Like, they're just, ugh, they're so juvenile. Like, oh, crowd, you're just like, that would never be me one day. But in reality, there's a part of the crowd that lives inside of each one of us. The part of us that's like, Jesus, I want you to do something for me, but I wouldn't want to do anything for you. And I, there's this, this, this thought, psychological thought called the main character syndrome. And I think a lot of us in some ways in our Christian walk actually have that in some ways where it's like the bad things are like personal attacks. The bad things that happen to us are like personal attacks on us. And, and really our Christian life is all about us and all about our growth and all about things that happen to me. And, and God is only, you know, in, concerned about my growth and the things that it's, I'm going to do for, uh, for him. But it's really for me. And that's the main character syndrome. Like, I'm going to win, and God's going to help me. But in reality, that's not, Jesus is saying, no, I am not here for that. I'm not here to take lives. I'm here to give my life. I'm not here so you can have whatever you want. And you can do, and, and, and Jesus, you can do this miracle for me. You can make my finances look better even though I don't handle them well. You can make my marriage look better even though I don't give time to my spouse. You can make my family look better even though I'm all about myself all the time and my schedule and my time. You can do it for me because I deserve it. I'm the main character. But in reality, that is not how Christianity works. That's not how Jesus works. And it's so funny, I was just talking to a neighbor, and he said, you know, like, uh, why, why is it so bad that, like, uh, you know, something I, you know, I never had a question answered for me, which was, was like, you know, somebody who's really good, and uh, they, they give the shirt off their back, and they're just selfless, why don't they get to heaven? Like, Jesus should reward that, but Jesus is not, I love what Paul said it a couple weeks ago, Jesus is not in the business of rewarding good behavior. He's in the business of saving lost souls. So it's not about what we can do for God or what he really can do for us. It's about serving Jesus. How can you serve Jesus more? That's really what it's about because as you serve Jesus, then, then you see him transforming your life. Then you see him moving in ways that you didn't. If It doesn't require it's not like a work salvation thing. It's not, you know, you do something and then God sees it and then he does something. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But it does, it really does, this is kind of a, a tension, a back and forth. It really does depend on your mindset. 
God, am I doing things so that you can reward me or am I doing things just to serve you? Worship team, would you come? Am I doing things so that you would reward me or am I doing things so that I can serve or that you can, you can do this? Um, and, and, and truly in American Christianity, I feel like this is the biggest pitfall. When God enters our expectations, our expectations oftentimes are God working for me, not I work for God. And in reality, he gave us everything that he ever needed on the cross. He gave us everything we ever needed in salvation. But right now, he's saying, I want to be with you. Not necessarily I want to do things for you, but he's just saying, I want to be with you. And so he says this this last verse uh, in Luke 19, 41 through 44. Really kind of just ties this whole thing together. Uh, It's right after this triumphant entry. And it says this, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people, he's talking about the city of Jerusalem, would understand the weight of peace. But now it is too late and the peace, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, Your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. And he's speaking prophetically of in AD 70, there was the fall of Jerusalem happened. And he's speaking prophetically to the the town of Jerusalem and saying this. But this next verse is, or this next portion is really important. It says, your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize when God visited you. Now that is not written to us necessarily, but that is a reminder for us that we must recognize when God visits us. The triumphant entry is an important moment and it speaks to how he wants to enter into our lives in every part. Jesus wants every part of your life. He wants to enter every part of your life your unknowns, your doubts, your expectations. He wants to enter every single part. And wherever you are today, Jesus may not give you the answer. He might not let you see the end of the story. But he wants to be with you. And so today, if you're here and you're thinking to yourself, Jesus, I don't know where you're at. I haven't felt you in a while or... I really am struggling with something, an unknown and, or a doubt. He's saying, I'm not here to give you answers. I'm here to give you myself. And when he came into Jerusalem, he said that to the world. But today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, he's saying that to you. Allow me to come into your life. If you're a Christian, allow me to come back into your life. Allow me to enter your unknown. Allow me to enter your doubt. Allow me to enter your expectation. If you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus is saying, allow me into your life in general. I want to be with you. And so today we're going to sing this song, uh, Great Are You, Lord. And I love this song. It's a song that I think we love as a church. But the the chorus is great, and it talks about this. It's, It's this. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our your praise.
before it operates. It's your breath in our lungs. And that speaks to the idea that God is so close to you that he's in you. It's your breath in our lungs. God, let that be your prayer. As you sing this song, say, God, be in me. I allow you space to be in my life. Enter into my heart again. Enter into my life. Where I've pushed you out, enter back. Where I haven't let you in, enter back. Because I want to be with you. And I want you to be with me. I'm going to pray and then we're going to enter into this this response song. Jesus, I just thank you so much that you desire to be with us. Lord, that you enter into every aspect of our life. Jesus, I just thank you so much that you are for us. Lord, that you desire to be with us instead of answers. You desire to be with us instead of, uh, of meeting our expectations for you, but you just desire communion. And that's what you did with the, the Last Supper with your disciples. The, the last thing that you did really before the cross was just to be with the people that you loved. And Lord, as we celebrate this week, your, your, your death and resurrection, allow us today to feel your presence and to remind, and remind our souls that you're with us and that you're for us. Thank you, Jesus, for being so good. In your name we pray. Amen. I want you to feel free to respond to Jesus however you want today. If that means standing for you, you can stand. If it means sitting for you and reflecting, feel free to do that as well.